Hello and welcome to the Collecting Heroes podcast. I'm your host, JD, the collector of collectors. And this is the podcast where I interview pop culture collectors from around the world. Today, we're going to LA by way of London with my next guest. Uh, it's time to pick up the bat phone and call in Ben Bentley. Ben, thanks for being on the show. Hey, JD. Thanks for having me. Mate, I'm really excited to chat to you today. I know I say that a lot on podcasts, but I always am very <laughs> excited to talk to a lot of collectors and you in particular, because as anyone who listens to the show knows, I am a massive Batman fan and you are a Batman 66 fan and collector, which is obviously why I mentioned the bat phone. Um, <laughs> so as I always start off talking to people um, about their passions, everyone knows I love Batman. I know you love Batman because we talk about it quite often. Let me know, though, for you, how did you come to become a Batman 66 fan rather than any of the other Batmans? So, yeah, that's 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 a great question. It's one that people quite often have when they when they kind of connect to the dots that like I'm in my mid 30s, but my favorite Batman is one that predates me by 20 years. So, Correct. so yeah. And, in a relative sense, the Adam West Batman TV show was my first encounter with that character. Um, so Batman has remained in syndication on British TV for pretty much since the mid-70s. It, it didn't ever really go away. So it was it was pretty ubiquitous. Um, so yeah, so around sort of, yeah, probably about four years old or so. Um, I mean, I'm guessing probably my mum takes the credit for this. At some point, she sat me down in front of the TV and and the Adam West Batman show was on there, the 1966 Batman TV show. Uh, and I fell in love. I really did. Like it, it was, it was the world to me, especially at that age, because you take everything totally, totally seriously. These villains are larger than life. Everything's super bright and super colorful. And I remember even as a kid, like I acknowledged that this obviously wasn't in the present because it didn't quite look the same, but it kind of, I don't know, in, in my mind, it kind of took place in its in its own world really it wasn't it wasn't so far removed that it, it couldn't possibly be real but i yeah. did know that it wasn't just down the street from me it, it was somewhere else <laughs> but no yeah like i said in a, in a relative sense that was my first experience to the character uh and i and i did I, f I fell in love i loved the idea of good always triumphs over evil and yeah even though there will be adversity and whatever all of those life lessons very much kind of hit me the right way. I mean, I think I was probably one of the few four or five-year-olds in my uh, primary school who uh, had the word dastardly in their uh, vocabulary at that age. <laughs> <laughs> and things like pow and zap and kapow and all that, right? Right, yeah, the, the visual stuff definitely imprinted on me. <laughs> uh, the look and feel of that show is such a big part of its legacy and what sets it apart from the other versions of of, of Batman, right? So it, it's kind of funny that in my sort of, yeah, my, my adult life, my career as, as a photographer, it, it's probably not that hard to put two and two together and think that actually that very distinct visual style did have like sort of, yeah, it very much, uh, I very much soaked that in as a, as, as a child, yeah. And when it was taught, like, and obviously we, we blame mum for this obsession, right? but <laughs> let's it, do that. As, yeah. Let's, let's as, as a child, does that mean like when you talk about the vocabulary, when she would give you dinner, would you say things like, holy spaghetti, mum, this is, this is delicious. <laughs> I, I definitely don't know whether I remember ever throwing uh, any of the holies in there because I, I do I do distinctly recall definitely identifying more so with the 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 Bruce Wayne Batman character than I did Robin. Robin was cool, but in my <laughs> head I was never the sidekick to the other guy. I was always I was always the guy, right? So yeah, yeah I think it was more a case of me trying to throw those uh, polysyllabic words into sentences, trying to sound like the debonair Bruce Wayne millionaire playboy. Yeah. I think for every Batman fan, they always want to be Batman, right? You never want to be Robin. That's that's right. You know, yes, that's that, the, that's you, it. A downgrade, really. <laughs> well, it, it, I guess the joke now, or whatever, as the kids would say, is that everybody wants to be the main character in their own movie, right? So I guess it's uh, it it's kind of it's it's along those lines. You you want to be the you want to be the hero. You want to be the main uh, the main character at that point. Hence, why Robin became Nightwing eventually, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I also guess that they were kind of probably backed into a little bit of a corner there as far as uh, only being able to tell stories within the same three or four year time period. Yeah. <laughs> I guess eventually, <laughs> eventually somebody had to grow up if they were ever going to be able to leave 
that perpetual stage of uh, yeah teenage years for that character. Actually, so. I'm trying to imagine 35 year old Robin in his skin tight yellow, red, and green <laughs> outfit. <laughs> just, just right, it starts around. getting a little bit more special interest than uh, perhaps it was uh, <laughs> ten years prior to that. <laughs> Squeezing into his his twelve year old costume or something is like oh, right, yeah, sure, yeah. You might get in there. <laughs> you might have to extend the collar a little bit, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the tiny little cape as well, just hanging halfway down his back. <laughs> oh, so man. the collecting part of it because mm -hmm. you do have quite the extensive collection. Were you going out as a kid and trying to find those items from the 66 Batman as well? Or is that something that you fell into later in life as a nostalgia piece? So I would have loved, I think, to have gone out and found stuff. Yeah. As a child that reflected the show, the, the, the only item I technically had in the period where I fell in love with the TV show was actually a VHS home release of the movie, uh, mm. because for the longest time, that was, that was one of the very few things that was out there. So the TV show was syndicated, but it was never released on home video until much, much later. Yeah. Um, and realistically for the same kind of messy rights reasons, as we didn't have a home release of the series, we also didn't have merchandise tying into the TV show directly. Uh, that was something that, again, once we get into the 2010s, starts to starts to eventually happen. So the, the 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 only item I had, which kind of again was a reflection of the TV show, uh, was a uh, a husky by Corgi uh, diecast Batmobile, and yes. I say it vaguely reflects the TV show because it is vaguely that George Barris Batmobile kind of shape, but you didn't have any of the detailing and and the version I have, I believe was a hand-me-down. I think it was in a really big shoebox of die-cast matchbox Hot Wheels kind of cars that a friend of a friend's brother or cousin or somebody had had basically cleared out some toys and handed off this box of, of stuff. And I remember going through it and despite there being much cooler looking things in much better condition, I was just fascinated by this little, this tiny little husky Batmobile because for the first time I had something in my, in my grubby little mitts, which actually looked like the car that was on the show. <laughs> uh, because at that point, obviously Batman, the animated series was, was a big deal. The Keaton movies had been out, but I was definitely too young in that first wave of Keaton Batmania. Definitely. So yeah, as a child, I had a lot of action figures from, yeah, from the animated series and from Batman Forever and Batman and Robin and all of that kind of stuff. But in my heart of hearts, I was always desperately looking for just a six inch figure in the gray with the navy blue. Do you know what I mean? I was just desperately looking yeah. for this Adam West figure that at that point I didn't know didn't exist technically at that stage in time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so as far as my collection, once I sort of quote unquote rediscovered the show, probably around the age of uh, probably around the age of fourteen, I was uh, I was at home for a couple of weeks from school uh, after a BMXing injury, where I had basically I'd broken one arm and I'd broken the collarbone on the opposite side oh, cool. in the same accident. So there was a couple of weeks there where I was literally laid up at home in two two slings. Uh, not able to do anything other than just be parked in front of the TV. And that was right around the time that FX, um, the, the network, launched in the UK. And as part of their rollout of programming, uh, every day at 12 p.m. when that channel started their broadcasting, it started with an hour of Batman. Oh, nice. And it was just this absolute bomb of nostalgia at that point because even though barely a decade had elapsed from me falling in love with the show as a child, yeah. to then be hit by this thing which was very familiar to me like in a time where i was feeling pretty sorry for myself about this <laughs> this whole injury situation all of a sudden i was laughing at the show i was like this was hilarious how did i how did i miss this the first time and i really kind of bought into this I, I, do you know what I mean? Like I had that revelation yeah. that this show played on two levels to kids. It was an action adventure show. That was the most serious thing on earth, but to adults, it was this very clever, very campy yeah. comedy, right? It was, totally it was two shows in one for two totally different audiences <laughs> who could sit down in the same room and watch it together. And so anyway, like any, anybody at that age with the internet at my fingertips, uh, I went down the rabbit hole online of, okay, this, Adam West Batman show. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know how many episodes there were. I wanted to know where I could find them. Was somebody else showing it? 
was all this stuff kind of out there? And it was at that time that I actually, I discovered the 1966 Batman message board, uh, which was this, this amazing hub, this forum online, which again, describing it to people now, especially people who are only familiar with sort of the idea of social media before social media, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these online communities were built around these message board forums. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying all of this in past tense, this message board still exists. And I actually co-run it these days uh, with my good friend, uh, Scott Sebring. But anyway, I found this message board and I found all of these people who absolutely adored the show. But more importantly than that, I discovered this entire world of this entire subculture of people who, despite the fact there wasn't licensed merch, there wasn't even an official release of the show, there was people making utility belts and making cowls and costumes <laughs> and batarangs and you name it, people, there was a cottage industry out there for for all of this stuff. And to be honest, um, to this day, one of my most treasured possessions in my collection, despite having hot toys and all of the rest of it, you guys at home can't see this, but JD can maybe see behind me near the utility belt over yes. here. Yes, there is the a one. twelve. Yeah. There's a twelve-inch custom figure of Adam West as Batman, which was done by a guy at the time who went by the moniker of Classic Plastic, and he basically created these. He he did a sculpt for a face, and he created these suits and these costumes for these twelve-inch figures for stuff that wasn't out there. So he did it for Lost in Space and he did it for these other shows. Um, nice. But more importantly, yeah, he'd done, he'd done an Adam West Batman. And that was, that was one of those pieces that when I got it was, was kind of like a holy grail in itself because I, I got to him a little bit later than the majority of people who had ordered one of these things and he'd kind of moved on from it a little bit. And I managed to, managed to snag one from somebody sort of secondhand as it were, but it was, it was one of those very first items I saw when I started delving into the fandom of the TV show. And it was something that I knew I had to have. I I, I really wanted That's a cool. towel and I really wanted a Shakespeare bust and a bat phone and all of that kind of stuff. But for some reason, this doll, which was exactly what I was looking for in my mind's eye as a child, this was the thing that I really fixated on. And um, yeah, I got that eventually. I think I probably got that in round about 2009, maybe. And then it kind of kind of snowballed from there because once we get into sort of the uh, 2013, we get an actual merchandise agreement between Warners and Fox and they bury the hatchet as far as most of that stuff's concerned. And we yeah. actually start to get these licensed items. Well, that's what I was actually, because I did a bit of research before obviously doing the recording with you um, because I know that you're one of the people that runs the forum. So I know you've got quite a bit Mm -hmm. of of Batman knowledge. I've listened to you on uh, (laughs) another podcast called, uh, I think it's to the bat poles. Yeah, that's right. I've been a guest of theirs a few times over the years. Yeah. And, and they always get you in as someone who has a bit of knowledge and, and, and I'm really interested in the conversations that you guys have around the show and the (laughs) history of it. So I know that you know your stuff and, and knew that I had to come in with a little extra knowledge, even though I had that nostalgia <laughs> for for the old Adam West Batman from watching it as a child myself after school, but knowing that you had that history. And one of the things I discovered is completely exactly what you were talking about, that licensing agreement, how there was no DVD release until 2014 was the first time right, I did yeah. a DVD release and there was no VHS release except for, as you mentioned, the the movie because of that, you know, because mm-hmm. even though Warner Brothers owned the character rights, Fox owned the um, television rights because they were they were the ones that produced the TV show, right? Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it's actually even a little messier than that. So, so yeah. So Fox Fox owned half of the TV show. Um, so, so back in the day, ABC secured the network ABC here in the US mm-hmm. uh, secured the rights to the character for the measly sum of about six or seven grand at the time from National Periodical, uh, which predates DC. That's what eventually becomes Detective Comics. If you had a spare um, six grand now, you'd throw that out every day, right? Right. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't, they, it's not that they bought it outright, but they, they pretty much bought themselves a license to do whatever they wanted at that point. Because I wonder National what Periodical, that would be uh, if you adjusted it for inflation. That's a really good question, actually. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't quite know what the uh, what the ratio would be, but I mean, that would be. I don't know. I mean, I imagine maybe that would be probably a hundred thousand, maybe. Yeah, pro- 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 probably quarter of a million, maybe. 
between yeah. a quarter and half a million, which again, at this point, seems like, <laughs> yeah, it seems like pennies on the dollar at that point. So anyway, so ABC got the rights to the character and they enlisted uh, a guy called William Dozier and his uh, production company, Greenway Productions. Uh-huh. Um, to uh yeah to produce this show uh and he had he had a deal with fox at that point so he was if you like he was a subsidiary under the big fox umbrella at that point his his office was on the fox back lot and all of the rest of it albeit he was a company in his own right so anyway they they basically came up yeah with with this deal that they were going to produce this show for abc as a mid uh, mid-season replacement so it started mm. in the january rather than the september uh but anyway so as 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 sort of um, as the deal goes the deal that dozier did with fox essentially after the show was done fox uh fox owned the footage <laughs> or owned mm. the footage um and dozier and eventually his estate they essentially owned the verbiage the words that were said on it was a really weird, peculiar way of divvying something up 50 50 basically okay so within the legalese of all of this for argument's sake fox owned half of the batman tv show and william dozier the producer owned half of it um uh. so so over time that that deal was set up so they both received the the residuals for syndication because that was that was always the name of the game with those shows is that if you could get them over 100 episodes you would then go on to have this very very um yeah this very very uh, lavish life in syndication right where you're making Lucrative. money on something that already exists yeah. is exactly the word i was yeah. desperately searching for there um so yeah so anyway so 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 long story short over time national periodical becomes uh, dc dc gets bought by warners and most people are familiar with that at this point um and uh yeah and so so, so basically over time there was just kind of this stalemate between the fact that fox owned a really big chunk of one of Warner's biggest properties. Um, and as far as a pop cultural sort of hangover or whatever, there's nothing much bigger in DC law than the Batman TV show, right? You can shout na 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 at somebody and they know what you're talking about, right? Like even 50 years on. So anyway, so this stalemate went on for a very long time and we got into the sort of the early mid 2000s um, and this big, this big repository of documents was, um, not on earth because obviously somebody knew it was there but dozier before he died had donated his personal stash of documents which he'd very very fastidiously kept uh, to the university of wyoming to the american uh, the american heritage center there as as somebody started going through this paperwork they basically found this uh, what they refer to as a dutch agreement which meant that if somebody within this deal either fox or the dozier family if one of them offered an amount of money to buy the other one out Mm. the other one had to either sell at that price or they had to buy it from the other person at that price so anyway Uh. long story short the dozier side of it does get consolidated so eventually it is just fox who own the batman tv show but to do anything with it you've your hands are still tied behind your back because you've got to you've got to sign it off with Warner's because they own the characters, the names, everything, right? So, so again, <laughs> one of those things. Time kind of keeps ticking by, and after a couple of different parties kind of got involved, trying to do different classic media were involved at one point, and um, and and a couple of other people over time had tried to do something with this, but hadn't quite managed to to get Fox and Warner's to to sort of come together on the same page eventually some <laughs> after after hot wheels bringing it back to the collectibles because the collectibles play a part in the story after yeah. hot wheels mattel did this deal with warner brothers and george barris who owned the design of the batmobile so even though it was from the show barris still had the rights to the look and feel of that car so after he did mm. a deal with uh, with with warners and with mattel the guys at Fox were like, hang on a minute, we paid a lot of money because we were forced into a corner to buy out the other guys, right? And we can't they use the better deal. Right. They, they, they were looking at it and they were like, hang on a minute, these cars are selling insanely well. Like that first first sort of wave of Batmobiles that they did in the sort of the 164th and the 118th scale, they are one of the best selling items that Hot Wheels have ever put out in the history of that company. Quick sidebar. People... Yeah. Quick sidebar. When you talk about how well they sell, the original uh-huh. just just for people that don't know sold for five million dollars at auction as well. So if, if you right, want to talk yeah, about this is cars it. that sell it's... well, 
<laughs> no, honestly, that's it. So so anyway, so Fox looked at how well the Batmobile was selling, and they were like, hang on a minute, we just threw so much money at this. We can't do anything with this without... They basically put aside all of the nonsense and the politics of these two big studios having to do something together because yeah. ultimately they spent a bunch of money on something that they had to, but they couldn't do anything with. And they said, look, we need to recoup some of this. There's no point in having done this if there isn't, if there isn't a bigger picture here. And thank God they did. Um, because yeah, the first, the first thing they did was iron out a deal whereby which they could actually start offering a merchandise license and all of these vendors in this new era of collectibles and nostalgia that we were in by that point in this was all happening in 2011 2012 and by 2013 mm. we got the announcement that okay yeah this license is available and everybody can have at it for for the for the right price um and now and everyone that, is making stuff well that's it yeah and, and within that same time period little did the general populace know but they were also logically working on bringing the 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 DVDs to, to market for the first time. So they did a beautiful cleanup job and did this great sort of deluxe box set. And then they did every other version you could imagine. So there was there was Batman for everybody at every single price point, whether you wanted to buy an individual season for $25 or whether you wanted to spend 150 on this, this big box set, including a Hot Wheels Batmobile and trading cards and all of the rest <laughs> of it. So we, we kind of really did go through this wilderness period for a very long time where the kind of the love of the show didn't go away and definitely sparked a lot of ingenuity within the fan base that were the sort of the hardcore fans like i said you had people making cowls and shakespeare busts and all the rest of it but yeah the floodgates opened in 2013 when all of a sudden the likes of mattel and the likes of hot toys and nika neka however you want to say it all yeah. of these guys who were now big players in the collectibles toy market were able to get involved and to yeah and to and to, and to start putting stuff out so for me, within my collection, because I didn't grow up in the 60s, a lot of the merch that came out at that point during the run of the TV show didn't actually have Adam or Bert's likeness on it. That was another messy deal that didn't happen in its own right. And as a result of that, they used a lot of generic comic looking Comics, kind of yeah. infantino looking mm -hmm. characters on that merch. So to me, not a lot of that stuff that came out during the TV show's run actually meant anything to me because it didn't look like the Batman and Robin I was seeing on TV. And I wasn't at that point a fan of the comics from back then. Well, so actually, my that's collection one of the has... figures that I was thinking about is back mm. in the day, they, I think Mego may have made some of the, of so the so the, the Mego, yeah, the Mego figures, again, were sort of, they weren't tied into the TV show. They were just generic versions of the ah, character. Okay. So admittedly, it was it was a grey suit and it was a blue cape and whatever. Yeah. But it, it was in no way, shape or form supposed to be Adam West as Batman, right? Like ah. it, it, it was separate to that. So there is definitely a nostalgia for those Mego figures within the fans of the TV show, because concurrently, that is the kind of stuff they had in the 60s and 70s growing up but they weren't yeah. actually sort of yeah they weren't officially affiliated at that point so as far as my collection goes my big thing is it if it's if it's if it looks like something from the show or it bears resemblance to someone from the show that's kind of where I, those are the items i key in on right so like as far as collecting the toys and whatever else I, i'm looking for stuff with likenesses of the actors or the characters or the, that uh -huh. version of the costume from the show and i think by doing that i've managed to kind of stop myself going down the real rabbit hole which would be collecting any and every batman item that i like because i love the tv show but i also i do have my, my sort of my second batman as it were would be the animated series right like that that show meant something in its own right yes. to me but it never yes. it never quite pulled on the same heartstrings and it doesn't have this inherent place in my personality that the <laughs> that the tv show does um so yeah so by keeping it to just stuff from the show i mean as you can see i've still got a room full of stuff but i i'm at the point where i i still get to pick and choose a little bit because i am focusing on on the tv series from from 66. well i tell you what i i, I just said earlier that you're you know a wealth of knowledge and repository for knowledge definitely <laughs> thank you for all, all that information I've, de I've definitely learned something new which, which is great I, i'm always eager to learn new stuff especially when it comes to batman but i actually want to take it back to the collection part and now you talk about your room full of collectibles and as i said you're in la but 
from London or England. I'm not sure if it was London in particular. But yeah, so I'm so I'm I'm originally from the north of England. So I grew up in a place called York, uh, and I and oh, I York. now live okay. just yeah just 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 north of just north of LA uh, by an hour or so. Uh, but most of the work I do is I do is there. But we we have a much bigger and nicer place than we would have if we were living in LA County <laughs> right now <laughs> with uh, with it being such an expensive place. So that takes me a bit to my next question: is how much of your collection have you collected since being in LA? And how much of it did you have to relocate from York? What was that like if you had to actually relocate a collection? <laughs> so, so yeah, so I did. I would, I would probably say that ninety percent of what I have, I had when I moved. Uh, I have definitely continued to add stuff, and I do fairly regularly. But, but no, honestly, the bulk of what I have in terms of the bigger pieces, the <laughs> the heavy stuff, as it were, I yeah, I have had, I have had for a decent chunk of time now. So yeah, as part of me moving, um, yeah, moving countries, yeah, I literally had to to very very carefully package everything up and uh, and ship it literally and because this was happening towards the end of the real kind of chaos that covid was uh, was creating at the time yeah it took nearly 6 months to get here and then it took another three and a half months to clear customs uh, uh so it, it got into the port at long beach and i got the notification from my from my shipping company and they said okay it's here but kind of don't get your hopes up like it, it we're still a ways away from it being released and they they were not kidding they said it might take 60 days because that's what it had been averaging but it wasn't it was it was a hundred and something days after wow. it arrived in the united states but but no so most of it honestly uh yeah arrived <laughs> intact like i i was pretty i was pretty serious about the way i packaged everything up and to be honest i was semi-fortunate in that the uh, the apartment I'd been living in before moving to California um, I hadn't actually unpacked a ton of it because I didn't have I didn't really have a world of space and I didn't want to rebuild cabinets knowing that I was eventually making this move um, so yeah so I didn't I, I'd already done a lot of the legwork as far as the packing and whatnot because stuff had been in storage at that point um, but this is probably maybe my third generation back cave as it were as far as the configuration and whatnot and i went through the period of doing like the detolf cabinets from ikea and i know you're a big ikea fan um <laughs> so like i went through that phase and i really liked those for a while and then they kind of went and moved the goalposts on me by discontinuing certain colors and then they eventually brought them back and all the rest of it but i kind of moved on from them at that point um so i've got a mixture at the minute i've got a mixture of kind of calax furniture i've actually got a vintage cabinet behind me which i i stripped and repainted and it's it's got a really cool shape to it and stuff and and it's mirrored yeah. and whatnot and then i do have some of the other um i've forgotten what this other ikea cabinet behind me is called these days but it's it's not dissimilar to the detolf but it actually has a metal frame to it rather than it just uh -huh. having that interior kind of skeleton um but at the minute that. i'm pretty i'm pretty happy with how this looks everything made it safe and in one piece the thing i always worry about shipping at any point uh is my shakespeare bus so i've got a full-size scale <laughs> replica a working <laughs> shakespeare bus with a, a head that flips back and a switch which is actually at the minute wired up to a lamp in my room so i throw the switch and until I have a bookshelf I can hook it up to that's that's how it's um that's how it's sort of rigged but the, but that bust I actually bought um at San Diego Comic-Con back in 2011 maybe um nice. I saw it in person and I'd been coveting one for years by that point but the big issue was to have one shipped to the UK and have it insured mm. was an astronomical amount of money because this thing is mm. it's very heavy like it's cast in 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 uh, uh it's, it's resin fiberglass it's it's very very hefty like honestly you could you could you could kill a man if you dropped it from 10 feet on them <laughs> so uh so yeah so i i we should try that just to be sure i mean honestly yeah there are times when i i do fancy experimenting with that but uh, <laughs> i try and i try and refrain um but no like I'd, I'd always told myself that if i found one in person I would have to get it right and sure enough the universe kind of called my bluff it was the i think it was maybe the saturday or the sunday of, of san diego comic-con that year and um yeah and i don't know how i'd missed it the first couple of days but sure enough one of these booths had one of these busts and by that point they were fairly scarce because the original run of these happened in i think probably 2001 2002 they were kind of 
they were done and it was like okay there is x amount of these and they're now out there in the world so there were certain vendors who'd bought i don't know a case of 10 of them sold them whatever so this guy apparently in chatting to him still had one of these from his original consignment um and i, I paid a little bit over what it maybe retailed for but i mean i was buying it 10 years on from mm -hmm. uh and and now they're even more like it, it is it is really crazy what's happened in the last few years with some of this stuff but my long long ass story um so that <laughs> i had to ship it back to the uk in my suitcase like i wrapped it in all of my clothes because i didn't again i didn't want to pay like, want to 300 pay 400 <laughs> with fedex to ship it uh... and insure it because the terrible part of it was at that point even if it was insured and i got the full value back that didn't mean i could get another one because no. they were so tricky to find right so it was okay i'm going to take this with me and sure enough taking it back to the uk the where the head comes down and it meets the chest yeah a little bit where the point comes into the shape did actually crack and it snapped oh, no. but i found the piece in my suitcase and i managed to do a pretty good job with the help of um with the help of a friend who was kind of into fabrication and whatnot, we managed to reassemble it and blend it in. So unless you know, it's like it's like when people fix guitar necks, right? And you look yep. at them and you you would never tell that somebody went full Pete Townsend and snapped the neck of something. It's kind <laughs> of like that. But um, with that very fresh in my mind still, I was like, okay, this has to, when it gets shipped eventually to the US permanently. So ironically, it's come back to California after all this time. <laughs> I knew I had to bubble wrap it within an inch of its life and then it was going to go inside wow. another plastic tub. And it was so yeah, so that was the one thing that I was concerned about breaking in transit and it wow. made it so uh... <laughs> for people who also who aren't as familiar with that Shakespeare bust, if they might not have seen the TV show, the reason that Shakespeare bust is so important to a lot of I guess fans and collectors like yourself is because it is the switch that was used to open up the door to the bat poles, right? And get down to the bat cave. Right. That's exactly it. So, so yeah, in, uh, in Wayne Manor in uh, Bruce's study, uh, there was, there was always a desk right there in the middle of the room, which would have this bust of William Shakespeare, which looks like it's bronze and all of the rest. It looks very much like the kind of thing you'd, you'd see in a well-to-do guy's kind of office, right? Uh, yeah. But it would have the bat phone sat there next to it, the big bright red phone. Um, and sure enough, after they'd receive a call from the commissioner and they'd agree to go and fix whatever was, uh, yeah, whatever this week's villain situation was, they would throw back the head of, of William Shakespeare, they'd turn a switch, and then the bookshelf behind them would move and reveal the bat poles. And <laughs> at that point, it was game on, right? Every episode, it was very formulaic, and it, it, it very much usually started that way. Um, so I think for a lot of us, and I mean, for me especially, that bust and the phone sat there kind of akin to how I've got them set yes. up now in, uh, in my office. That is kind of symbolic of where the adventure starts, right? That very much captured my imagination because we go from being in this fairly stuffy looking house, which could very much exist in the real world, to flipping the head turning the switch, sliding down the back poles into this amazing back cave, and all of a sudden, everything was now larger than life, right? Like the adventure had begun. So so yeah, that that had always imprinted on me very much so as a, as a kid. Like I said, once I got into my teenage years and I was sort of starting to scour the internet for anything and everything Batman, it blew my tiny mind that somebody had made a replica of this that looked pretty damn close to what we were seeing yeah. on the screen. And yeah. then the second mind-blowing thing was, no, no, this these people have wired this up, so you can use this as a switch <laughs> to, to activate things. And I would love to tell you that down the line I would have it connected to a bookshelf, but we'll we'll have to see on that. But like I said, for it's now, it's, uh, it turns on a lamp in my room, and it's still pretty damn cool to flip it and, you know, ex exercise that, uh, that muscle and whatnot. That is so, cool. Um, and those doors that opened as well, the uh, magic of old 60s TV, say, same mm -hmm. as the old um, old Star Trek with their automatic doors, <laughs> it was actually two men behind the set yep. pulling the doors, sliding them. Just pulling across. on a rope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently but, the same uh, thing I read with the Batmobile. So the Batmobile has a spinning... I mean, they used to repurpose a lot of shots, kind of but they had a turntable yeah. and that was 12 guys 
that were yeah. actually had to muscle this car around in yeah. a circle and then that would they filmed it as if it was an automatic turntable yeah yeah you'd you'd never you'd ne you'd have to look for where you you jump shots from them driving in on floor level and then all of a sudden it's actually nearly a foot off the ground and it's rotating <laughs> on the on the turntable yeah something we take for for granted now definitely you could do that for for absolute pennies at this point as far as a special effect but uh but yeah like you said yeah the 12 fully grown men having to turn a five-ton vehicle around. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, now that you're living in in california or la have you found that it's it's easier to find items for your collection uh, do you are you are you specifically seeking out people in california that might have been because uh, I know that you do a bit of homework already into film locations and things like that. I've seen you do. Right. But yeah. are you trying to connect with people who worked on the show and trying to use that as a way to maybe discover items that you can then add to your collection, like old film props and things? So, so yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's there's a couple of different sort of um, different kind of tangents. I'll probably go with this. So, the the short answer is that for me. The holy grail of my collection at this point would be to have something that was screen used from the show that would yeah. that would mean the world to me and to get back to the sort of the first part of that question so over over the last sort of i mean i don't even know how many years it's been now technically 17 or 18 years that i've been sort of like an active member in the in the fandom of this tv show um i've actually gotten to know a lot of a lot of other serious fans of the show and people who are collectors in their own right people who to be honest yeah. their collections blow mine out of the water as far as some of the things that are in there like i'm very fortunate to know a couple of people who uh one of which actually owns a full set of screen used uh batman and robin suits i've, I've been very very lucky that my, nice. my friend mark was kind enough to let me I've, I've tried on an adam west cowl complete with all the sweat and all the bacteria <laughs> and whatever i've I've, I've I've had one of those on my on my head, and he's been super cool over time about letting those of us kind of who Quick are question. in that kind of yeah. Go Quick for question: it. Who had the bigger head? Oh, Adam West or me? Yeah. So it was Adam. Just <laughs> <laughs> so my my good my good friend uh, Chuck Williams, who these days is the go to guy. Uh, for creating the replica cowls, he literally has spent twenty years perfecting, recreating these based on original ones that he's had access mm. to. He uh, he always sort of not so jokingly says whenever anybody inquires about buying one, oh, which size should I order? And he tells them, well, no, I sell one size. I sell the Adam West size. <laughs> it either fits you or it doesn't, right? Like because he's literally he has perfected that exact shell and, and yeah. all of the rest of it. So it is, it was, it was originally cast for Adam's head. So it was, it was his measurements from the get go. Um, yeah. And that remains true in the sort of the, the, the super high end uh, replicas these days. But no, as far as, as far as sort of my ambitions, I guess, yeah, as a collector at this point, there, there isn't anything gaping that is missing from my collection as far as, things that are accessible uh there are things i might quite like but there 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 isn't anything that to me feels like do you know what i'm not going to be able to sleep properly until i secure x y and x y yeah. and Z, right? like I've, I've actually managed to to sort of accumulate most of the core of what i'm really interested in at this point like i said moving forward for me the big thing would be to like i said to, to eventually to get something from the show something identifiable from the show and um, you have a lot of props so, in your collection that are obviously, you know, replicas. In fact, yeah. one of the items that I thought was really cool that you created during um, the lockdowns and everything was the bat key that, that you made. I thought that was really cool right. as well. Well, so I, so I can't quite take credit for that. I, I, I took those photos that you saw, but actually a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine in Texas, um, his lockdown project was getting to grips with 3D printing. He's somebody uh -huh. who is a graphic uh -huh. designer by trade, and he's been in the kind of in the wider toy industry for a long time. But he he got a real bee in his bonnet that he wanted to try and recreate one prop from all 120 episodes of the TV show. Oh, so wow. in the course of doing this, <laughs> he created a whole lot of stuff. And um, yeah, he was very, very kind to gift me a selection of what he'd been working on because I'd, I'd, I'd helped with research here and there and 
sort of been supportive throughout the whole process. So when he did send them to me, my lockdown project became doing these kind of almost stylized product shoots because uh, I so in real life, yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a photographer. That's my full time job. Yeah. So unable to go out and interact in the real world, I was there kind of setting up these pseudo these pseudo product uh, shots with these Batman products, which I think are the photos that you saw. Like I had yes. it kind of like poking out of a pouch on my utility belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lovely navy blue silk background, and so yeah, yeah, I did I did this. It was a little bit of an exercise in my own sanity to try and create something like I might do potentially for a client for an ad campaign, but with these props from the Batman show. But, um, but yeah, that's it. So I'm not just a toy collector and I'm not saying not just a toy collector in any kind of way, but I don't just collect toys. I also collect props um, yeah. and I collect documents uh, and I collect scripts. Like, I mean, honestly, like as far as I know you often end up getting into numbers with people as far as numbers of items and collections. And if you were to include the paperwork that I have from the TV show, whether it's call sheets, production reports, scripts, all of that kind of stuff. Like mm -hmm. I've, I've got thousands of pages of stuff, <laughs> um, which sounds nuts when you say, and thank, thankfully on paper, that doesn't take up the kind of space that a thousand no. would do. Um, but uh, but no, the props were always a big thing to me. Like I, I'm a visual person and the props being tactile and then being very stylized on the show, that always appealed to me. So, I mean, when I saw that, okay, somebody does a batarang that looks just like the one on the show, that's amazing. Somebody does a bat communicator radio that looks just like it. <laughs> Even getting a utility belt itself, like that is such a, an iconic part of that costume. Like the cowl and the belt are the two really sort of standout items from that from that costume. So, so yeah, getting those things and being able to have those in my collection was super important to me. Nice, nice. I mean, your collection is fantastic, honestly. Like we've we've been talking through Instagram for a little while, and and you, you you've been graciously listening to episodes and giving me feedback on the podcast as well, which is one of the reasons how we got talking and and that you've now become a guest on the show. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do love looking at your collection. I love, obviously, as you said, being a photographer. Some of the photos that you take of these props and, and of your collection are fantastic photos as well. And the colours, as you mentioned, the colours from the TV show, the colours of the outfits, the uh, Cesar Romero Joker, just that right. <laughs> that purple, the way that pops, you know, it's, <laughs> it's very distinct. That, that purple is very distinctly different to the purple of, say, a Jack Nicholson Joker or something like that. Right, well. yeah, honestly. There, there is a there's a fun there's a fun kind of uh, meme for want of a better word that does the rounds online, which is just the Pantone purples from the different Jokers, and they're not labeled as which ones they are, but people know which. Okay, this is Heath Ledger. This is Cesar Romero. This is Jack Nicholson, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah. Like those those costumes are all iconic in their in their own right. The purple uh that you're talking about on those pantones seems to get darker with the, each movie as well right <laughs> so to to the point where if they bring in a, a joker for the robin robert patterson which they obviously did at the end in the end scene spoiler sorry, sorry for anyone who hasn't seen that movie i'm sure you should have by now now for but, a year it's your problem if you've not seen that at this point <laughs> but he, his purple is going to be essentially black like with you know with, with a tinge of purple, <laughs> of purple thrown in there that that sounds about right yeah if, if DC films can take the color out of something, then they will desaturate it, right? That <laughs> definitely seems to be the, the business model at this point. Maybe, maybe not with, with where things are going now, but um, for over a decade, it did seem to be if we can take the, if we can suck the fun out of this and also the pigment, then we will do it, so. Yeah, <laughs> and there are definitely memes about Batman that, that do that as well, that show the Batman movies getting progressively darker and darker and darker as well. To the point where I yeah. think they just had like the the latest Batman movie, and I think you could just see his eyes or something <laughs> in the meme. <laughs> well, look, um, as we've been talking a lot about the history of the show, a lot about the history of your collection, and anyone who knows who listens to the podcast knows, I love to throw a quiz out there. And it's been a few episodes since I've done one, so I, I, I mean, you're probably one of the people that I, I would think would have to get a perfect score on this quiz. And if you don't, <laughs> it'd be very I can't embarrassing for me if right? I didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to get you to lock it away. A la Raiders of the Lost Ark. And nobody <laughs> will ever know that this conversation happened. But I do have a quiz for you. Um, and it was great because actually going into this, 
I, I got to learn a couple of things myself, as I said, like doing research. So I, I love learning new things. So that was really fun for me. Um, but I think, I think probably for you, it should be, uh, some of these questions will definitely be easy. So let's, let's get into it. Five questions starting now. So first question, how far was it from the Batcave to Gotham City? It was 14 miles, as as indicated by this sign behind me on the wall, <laughs> which I'm not sure if you can see actually from there. <laughs> I, I, I can't, but I, I knew that would be an easy... You trust me that it's there. <laughs> yeah, I, I trust you, I trust you. Okay, here's a different one. What was Mr. Freeze's favourite dessert? Oh, Baked Alaska. Ah, ding, ding, ding. That's too, too correct. Now, it's funny, actually, with talking about um I, I didn't know what a baked alaska was i had to look it up so i googled it and i, I got very hungry looking at this with this when i found out it was cake ice cream and then a meringue that was essentially burnt like or browned meringue on top right over the top have of you it. tried one yes i have at some point yeah like i think it was at uh yeah, I want to say it was like at a wedding or something. It was it was a weird situation, but I was like, oh, this is baked Alaska. But I, I, I almost feel like in the UK that it's called something else or that there's another name for it, at least. Like it's it's similar to a couple of other things, I think. It reminded me of there's a dessert here called a roulade, which is mm -hmm. like... Yeah, exactly. Yes, roll, I've heard of that. Yeah. But that doesn't have ice cream or a cake in it. So... I'm definitely, I think if I'm ever over in the US, if it's something that you can, you can get there, I think I'm going to keep an eye out and, and, and try it for future, a uh, future dessert. Definitely. Um, I, I'd try and make one, but I just don't know if it'd come out as delicious. I don't know. There's a lot of moving parts there as far as I'm concerned. What with the having to bake a cake and then there are also being stuff you need to keep frozen. Uh, that's that's above my pay grade, I'm afraid. You know? Yeah, same, same. It, and, it, and it reminds me when I looked at the photos, it was very that whole 50s through the 60s, 70s, the dinner party, dessert, kind of that's what it really reminds me of. I think so. It's one of those things that you can make in a sort of a quantity that can serve a lot of people, right? So for parties yeah. and... That kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, following on with the Mr. Freeze theme, uh, <laughs> question three. Mr. Freeze was renamed for the TV show from which comic book villain? Uh, so he was Mr. Zero in the comics? Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I, this was something that I, I learned. So, as I said, you know, learning stuff when I was researching, I had no idea that Mr. Freeze was actually Mr. Zero to start with. And that was in Batman 121 in 1959 was the first first time he was shown uh -huh. there. And then afterwards, they renamed him in the comics to fit with the TV show version. Right. I mean, so that kind of stuff happened quite quite a lot. I mean, you even end up with the character of Batgirl being created at the request of the producers of the show they said yeah. to they said to national periodical at the time we would really like to introduce a female villain at uh, villain sorry excuse me a female hero is there any chance we can do dot 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 and and they kept and they come back with batgirl barbara gordon right and they and they launched that character in the comics right before the the third season of the show starts and we get yvonne craig as that character so the, the didn't the TV she got series, her own pilot so she well, did. So this, this, this again is kind of something that there's a little bit of contention about. So the the way it kind of gets talked about in the trade papers of the time, whether it's Variety or whatever, kind mm -hmm. of makes it trying to sound like Dozier was trying to sell this other show. But in reality, it was. I think it was more so to to be, being realistic about where they were at at that stage in the production. It was more mm -hmm. so about selling the network on the idea that look, this season three of the show is going to be different and it's going to have this other character who is going to totally change the change the game at that point because the ratings were down and there was real hesitance i think on, on abc's part about even green lighting a third season which is why they start coming up with this 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 kind of for want of a better word a gimmick as far as okay this we are giving you something else we're giving you something different but yeah again like i said the way it gets talked about you hear some people kind of yeah talk as if it was going to be spun off completely separately but i really don't think again there's any real evidence of that being 
an actual plan. I mean, it might have been a pipe dream kind of thing if the show was doing great as it was and they wanted an actual spin-off. But the Green Hornet had already been cancelled at that point. Dozier's other show, Tammy Grimes, was one of the fastest cancelled shows in a first <laughs> season ever. His Wonder Woman pilot was terrible. His Dick Tracy was not good. So yeah, they they yeah the the the, the Batgirl pilot, which is thankfully out there in the world for us all to see, is essentially a way of introducing the network to this new character that they were inserting into that season. That pilot never aired on television, as far as I'm aware, in a broadcast ah, sense to a, to a wide okay. audience. So it existed as a bootleg for years that we yeah. had on VHS and whatever, but they did actually scan it and they did a pretty nice nice job of it from 16 millimeter on the official Blu-ray release. So we've got a we've got a decent copy of that now. You've got Killer Moth as the villain, and it's yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild actually the way they try and do it. But um, but no, Adam and Bert are very much there, and it it is essentially a primer for what those third season episodes would look like. I'm gonna quickly side away from the questions just to ask a question mm -hmm. that I. Well, the, the trivia questions for a collector question that I actually <laughs> thought of earlier and I didn't ask you. Do you have like every version of the of the physical media uh, copies now as well? No, I don't. So I've I've got the I've got the deluxe. I've got the primo Blu-ray set with absolutely mm. everything in it. And then over time, I ended up with uh, I ended up with the regular DVD set. And then I ended up with so there was. I think at this point there's probably four or five different versions. I've got about three out of the five versions, basically. Yeah. Okay. But okay. I was I was fairly content that once I had the Blu-rays, that was that was the peak of. At, at, at this point, what I would be really interested in is if they do eventually do a 4K release of some sort, because oh. the series was scanned at 4K when they did it for the Blu-rays, and then it was kicked down to 1920 by 1080. So in theory, it is good to go at 4K if they press the button and make that available, whether it's streaming or whether it's a physical release. But if that happens, I will. I, take my money like yeah absolutely. <laughs> I, would, I would i would love to see i would love to see every nook and cranny of um of those film cells so uh so Fair yeah enough. so i've got a few and over the years i've got pretty much every version of the movie that was released on dvd uh well on vhs and then on dvd eventually so uh so yeah i've, I've got that in every pretty much every format it came out because they would often have different special features yes um so I, i'm thinking. not a total total completist if i really like the artwork i'll buy it again if I really like the look of something else, that's an additional feature, I'll buy it again. But I'm yeah. not somebody who has to have, okay, they did six versions of it, so I have to have six versions of the same thing. <laughs> again, nothing against that, but that's that's not quite, it has to, it has to appeal to me on some level, and it's usually yeah, visually. Of course. <laughs> yeah. and, and as collectors, you know, we've got to, I mean, you and I have spoken about this in messages, and people have heard me say this a million times, space is the enemy of every collector right. so it's sure. good to sometimes be selective with those things as well but what is kind of funny though again as far as things that become treasured possessions in hindsight some of my bootlegs i actually still have because for the longest time with the show not being officially available uh -huh. there was different versions of the show that were released as as bootlegs so there was a, a famous set from what they called the fox tapes in the 80s or whatever and do you know what i mean you can get into all the nuts yeah. and crannies of that stuff because there really was this cottage industry around the show within the fandom keeping it kind of keeping the wheels turning whilst the official stuff wasn't out there so in some ways my bootleg dvd set is actually kind of probably has as big of a place in my heart as the official one did because for the longest time that sort of that tided tided me over until we got the real deal <laughs> Well, look, we're getting sidetracked from the trivia questions, and that's my fault. <laughs> um, and no, we good. could obviously speak for hours uh, in nerding out about Batman stuff together, I'm sure. So you're three from three. So two more questions to go. And I have a funny feeling you're going to get these ones fairly easy. <laughs> so question number four, name all three actresses to play Catwoman. Okay, so you had Julie Newmar in uh, seasons one and two. You had Lee Merriweather in the feature film. And then you had the one and only Eartha Kitt in season three. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that was my very bad Eartha Kitt. Um, that was great. I loved it. That didn't know. <laughs> yeah. um, it, was, it was funny. Uh, I, I, one of the things I read, and I don't know, although I have to think for the time that it was probably pretty accurate, is that there was a bit of backlash on having Eartha Kitt, a, a black woman, come in to play Catwoman and replace a white actress. And because of that, 
they actually removed the uh, the flirtatious aspect between the characters, apparently, with, at the time. Obviously, very different time 60 years ago. You know? yeah. um, but I, I was... When I read things like that, it re- reminds me of how far we've come as a society. You know, that, that, no, definitely, well. definitely. It's um, yeah, it is. It it seems it seems insane to us, doesn't it? Especially now, thinking I don't know, Eartha Kitt holds such a such a prestigious place for a lot of people in popular culture. So it, it's yeah. insane to us in a world where we're not discriminating against people because of the color of their skin or, or whatever. Yeah. It seems insane to not be like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you want Eartha Kitt on your hit tv show right like but yeah like yeah. you said there was i think especially in this country in the united states like there was there was some some areas between the two coasts who were really not happy about the idea of that um mm. and i mean keeping in mind that this is also happening in the same time as you've got kirk and uhura having that kiss on screen and, kiss, and all yeah. the rest of it right like you, yeah. you've got that that kind of stuff going on so the civil rights movement is very much in full swing at that stage so yeah it's um yeah, it is wild. It really is. And, and I, I feel bad for Eartha as well, because she she deserves so much more as far as what she got to do on that show. She's great with what she does do, but those scripts were fairly horrible by the nature of them at that stage, because the third mm-hmm. season really does take a little bit of a, a little bit of a turn. That's an understatement. <laughs> but um, but no, as far as her actually getting the flexibility or the space to to bring a kind of performance like Julie did, or even Lee, Lee Merriweather did in the movie, it really was a much more neutered, desexualized version of that character. Yet she still, mm. exactly, you, you you sat there and you did the purr and whatever, she yeah. still managed to do something iconic, even though she was the third person sat in that seat in the space of three years. So it's, yeah, yeah it, kudos to her. I, 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 like, I, like, I like her Catwoman very much for what it is i really do i like all of them for different reasons lee merriweather for the longest time because the movie was a big part of my childhood and being able to watch that over and over again and not having access to the series lee merriweather was a big definitely imprinted on me uh but you cannot deny by the time you see julie newmar do her thing like she really did bring something to the table as far as creating what we understand as as the character of Catwoman on screen. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I, I love all three of them uh, for for their own merits um, in their own right. I knew I knew that you would have extra context to, to bring to all these <laughs> questions as well. So this is, this is great. Number five, you're perfect so far. And, uh, and I, I have a good feeling you're going to get this question as well because you did reference (laughs) earlier that your other favorite batman is the animated series and this actually actually ties them together so you may even know where i'm going with this in (laughs) batman the animated series adam west portrayed an actor known for a long ago superhero role who had struggled to find work ever since because of producers typecasting him what was the name of that episode so that episode was called the gray ghost yeah, and oh. Adam Adam played Simon Trent. Almost, a, uh, almost. He said it. Oh, the, so the actual episode, the, the title of the episode? Yes. Uh, oh, God. So... You're close. You're close, though. It is Beware the Grey Ghost. Oh, he looked at, you looked away there. I feel like... Uh, have, you got, have you got a visual cue to the right of you there? I have the Mondo print of that episode. So I don't know if you remember seeing those artworks where they did yes. it. They did a print in the style of a noir poster. Yes. For every episode of that show. And uh, yeah, so I have that one on. That is obviously one of my favorite episodes of that, <laughs> that show. But, but no, I was spacing yes. until I turned to look. I'm going to give you half a point. I'm going to give you half a point <laughs> on that. So you, 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 because a little cheating. But it's funnily enough, when, when you said that you've got that, that print, the other mm-hmm. Batman collector that I had on here, he actually, and this is one of the reasons I threw this in is for, is for Brian. He actually has that print as well. And when I was interviewing him, he had that pride of place sitting behind nice. him. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We were Amazing. Yeah. No, that's that's very embarrassing on my part um, that <laughs> I uh, that I had to I had to spin forty five degrees to uh, yeah to confirm that. But no, that's but, fair. Yeah. Mark me down. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that one. <laughs> Four and a half points. Four and a half points. Yeah. But hey, that's still that. that's that's like ninety percent on a test, right? That's still. Can, can you imagine if I got an episode of the TV series wrong, though? Like it, that that would have been that would have been worse. We'll uh... yeah. That would have been, <laughs> that would have been so now, just to make up that point, I need you to all uh, first fifty episodes. I need you to name them in order. 
I mean, if I'm you've kidding. got the time, I'm I can kidding. I can do that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, Ben, this has been fantastic. Um, we're I think we're definitely pushing an hour long recording here. That does not, not surprise exactly sure. me. <laughs> um, and could talk for hours, obviously, uh, when it comes to Batman. But I will wrap it up here. I've had a great time chatting to you. Perfect guest. Thank you very much for being on the show. And as always, I end this with uh, socials. Where can people find your awesome collection? Yeah, for sure. So I uh, I predominantly use Instagram for my for my Batman stuff. So I am at sixty six Batblog on on Instagram. Yeah, so you can you can find me over there. But like I mentioned earlier on in the show, uh, I actually co run the nineteen sixty six Batman message board. Uh, which, believe it or not, in 2023, there is still a message board that is out there and alive <laughs> and well online. So you can find us at literally 66batman.com. Uh, and we are always, always uh, open arms for new members and anybody who, uh, yeah, anybody who loves the old show, we're more than happy to have you. And uh, we love to have those conversations. And as always, I'll put those links in the description as well. Um, Sweet. So, so people can find you there as well. So thank you. Um, I guess I uh, will be speaking to you later, uh, you know, in future episodes come out and we'll, we'll be chatting on Instagram. Still. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I really do appreciate it. It's um, no, honestly, like I, I almost couldn't believe when I started listening to the show that somebody hadn't thought about doing this. Like, because honestly, like it, as far as having these really nice conversational kind of interviews about, I, I don't know, like just to say that the the, the collecting hobby is such yeah. a huge part of, of popular culture at this point. It was yeah. it was wild to me that somebody somebody hadn't jumped on that. And and I think you're the you're the perfect person to do it. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass at this point, but you've got <laughs> such a great conversational nature to these because it would be super easy to do the kind of academic almost inventory style so you've got this you've got this you've got this but yeah, the fact yeah. you tie it into this these sort of these backstories and the nostalgia and the sort of the broader implications of being a fan of any of these kind of franchises and these properties like it i don't know it just it just works and I, and I really hope that over time more and more people yeah more and more people find you and because honestly like it it it, it really does work like you you've got uh, you've got such a such a really I don't know, just like a really sweet little corner of this specific thing without the bull and the drama and the nonsense <laughs> and the, well, do you know what I mean? I all the rest of it, that. like it's, it, it's, it's really wholesome. Like that's probably the best word I could use. Like it's really like, cause even, even when you have people on who I'm, do you know what I mean? Like I'm not a Dragon Ball Z person like at all. And you, you mm -hmm. admitted that you weren't either, but that didn't stop that conversation from being interesting. Right. And I think that's what's, that's, what's great. Cause there is, there is kinship and familiarity amongst all of us, regardless of what the thing that we specifically love yes. is, right? Like, and exploring that is such a fun sort of sociological experiment, if nothing else, right? And that was the reason behind me starting the podcast is, um, is a little bit, uh, a little bit selfish in the fact that I, you know, I, I get to have these conversations and geek out with people and, and see their collections. And I, I love that experience that these, right. having, having those conversations, but yeah, it was essentially that I think there is that those stories and the nostalgia that ties us all together and everyone's familiar with, regardless of whether you collect, like, as you mentioned, Dragon Ball Z or Batman or, uh, you know, I've had, had other stuff that I'm not as familiar with, like even Magic the Gathering cards, you know, right. the game, like... So that, Even that, the McDonald's like, guy blew my mind because yeah. it never in a million years... I know we joked about that that being a long episode. He was kind of hard to keep on topic and stuff, but not as long as this uh, one now, <laughs> right? Well, no, honestly, yeah, like I'm I'm just as bad as that guy. Uh, but uh, but no, like it had never dawned on me that people, do you know what I mean? That people collected that stuff, right? That they yeah. were fans of these things that you and I would just we'd screw it up and throw it away with the wrapper for the burger, right? Or like yeah. the the menu things from behind the boards, whatever the specific yeah. word was he had for them. That was one of those where I was like, I have not only learned something, but like, I just, my eyes were just so much wider open to that kind of, <laughs> yeah. And again, I would never have stumbled across that unless, yeah, somebody was bringing that kind of content like into sort of, yeah, in, into a forum like this, which 
has the wider implications in a lot of a lot of other fandoms and stuff as well so well yeah. i thank you i pr appreciate all the kind words and and you've blown so much smoke that i think it's coming out of my ears now so <laughs> we'll wrap it up there and and i appreciate your time as always i appreciate everyone listening to the podcast so uh if you did enjoy this make sure to follow and subscribe and uh also i'd love to see some more ratings i've seen there's a couple of ratings on apple but if you know if people can go in and rate on their podcast platforms i'd love to see that so that we can spread the word to more collectors and more fans of pop culture so they can listen to these conversations as well so ben thank you very much thank you for having me genuinely appreciate it